right. Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. I'm here with Joel Passan, who is a co-founder of Sturdy.ai. What's going on, Joel? How are you? Doing great. How are you? It's uh, you know, it's a Monday. We're uh, we're recording here on a Monday. Um, you know, we were just chatting about uh, you know, the trials and tribulations of having children, and um, you know what what great joys and um, also what great blunders you know uh, happen. So um, I, had a, I had a pretty good weekend, other than the Buffalo Bills uh, getting absolutely stomped. Um, that's my favorite team, and unfortunately, we had our worst game of the year on the day we needed a, a good one. So yeah. I actually thought. To that end, I know this isn't a football podcast or a childcare <laughs> podcast, but the the Bills are predisposed given the snowy field conditions against the Bengals. They were predisposed to. I would have picked them when I saw the field conditions, Jeff. That's that's what I'm saying too. Somebody, some, you know, there's some some uh, folks out there that were talking about, you know, shouldn't shouldn't it be that like we have the advantage playing in the snow? It looks like we were the ones that have never played in snow before. Uh, they've yeah. always kind of said like, Oh, like the conditions in Buffalo would work in your favor. Uh, did not look the same. Like we looked like we were getting pushed around on skates. So that's, that's true. And you know, just to, to switch gears um, to our previous conversation, I have like a, a public service announcement for all parents. Um, lice head lice is bad. That's my public Monday morning public service announcement. Head lice is bad. You do not want to get head lice or you don't want your kids to get head lice. It is bad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, let's uh, I'm excited to do this today. You know, um, we've, we've gotten to know each other over the last probably six to nine, nine months, maybe even year long, just through LinkedIn and some other things and then started chatting. And so I think the, our topic today is going to be awesome around data because I think it's the question that um, maybe doesn't get, uh, enough time anywhere is is people talking about data because you know we have all these great systems and tech and uh, I, I think we sometimes minimize you know how much we need to be thinking about um, you know what the data can do for us which systems is it moving to and from how we're then displaying that data is it clean is it dirty so uh, before we jump into that though I have two icebreakers um, they like to jump in and throw at people so um, if if Joel had to describe his perfect Sunday morning what does that look like. Wow. Okay. So my, my perfect Sunday morning would be a uh, double toasted sesame bagel with cream cheese and locks and maybe some classical music in the background, even though maybe that's not exactly where I would go in my non Sunday morning routine (laughs) and a actual physical copy of the New York times Sunday edition. And my children, I have two kids being occupied by something else other than me. I'd like them around by the way, (laughs) without head lice. (laughs) <laughs> uh, around though, but in the peripheral, but occupied like Legos or something where I then can read some New York times that that's, that's my perfect. Song. I love it. Um, big fan of the, um, my wife is a, is a, a staunch supporter of the, uh, everything bagel with blocks and she's yeah. probably tried them all around Charleston. I mean, you know, we don't have bagels like they do in New York or anything like that, but she's gone around to try and, and find the best one. And, um, you know, she's, she's rating things on like, you know, how many capers they given her, what kind of red onion ratio we got. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, she's, she's on that list with you. And, um, well, good. I'm with you too on the the physical paper. I don't know if it's, it's, uh, you know, maybe from my early days growing up, my, my dad is a, uh, literally reads the paper still to this day, cover to cover, like every yeah. day it's his routine. He sits down at 5 PM in the same chair. Like he's done this for like my whole life. And so I've always had this, um, infatuation with like having, a physical newspaper. And, uh, I've carried that over too. I, I, I like 
look forward to being able to open it and actually like read it and, you know, not be looking at your phone. And, um, I don't know, there's something about it. that's kind of nostalgic for me. So I'm with you on that. That that Sunday morning is basically like a, uh, a rep, uh, a replica of what my father did every Sunday morning, like some light classical music probably had me occupied, went and got bagels and got the New York times. So it's, uh, the apple does not far fall (laughs) far from the tree as I saw. Um, all right. Second, second icebreaker for you. And, uh, then we'll jump into our topic, but, um, (laughs) If you weren't living, you live in Portland now, right? Portland, Oregon. Yep. Yeah. If you weren't living in Portland, but you were somewhere else in the United States, where would that be? This wasn't scripted. So <laughs> I was a Bay Area person for 22 years and I love, I have a couple of uh, cities in the United States. Well, I have a couple of global cities that I love. I love London. I love Paris. I, I love New York city. Um, but I would, I have a, I have a love affair with San Francisco and I miss it. Um, and then my secondary, I'm going to give you two. Uh, I love, I lived in Sun Valley, Idaho for a little bit as a post college person and, uh, waking up in Sun Valley, whether it's the summer or the winter is pretty special. So that's how I say San Francisco, but I'll, I'll put an asterisk and say, I love, I love catching Idaho. Yeah. That's, um, we, when I was growing up, we used to, I lived in Nebraska for a long time. We would go to Colorado, go ski trips. And then, um, mm-hmm. when we moved to the East coast, my dad started, you know, we started saying, Hey, let's, instead of just going to Colorado every time, let's go different places. And, um, mm-hmm. I never made it to Sun Valley, but like we made it to like everywhere around there. And I was a little like, Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, people keep telling me that I gotta go. Um, so that is on my bucket list for sure. Um, I've just seen so many great so, things too about the winter winters. Good up there. spot. Also, also awesome in the summer. Good, good summer spot. Yeah. That's, um, uh, I think Colorado is like underrated during the summer too. Like I used to love, we, we used to go out there quite a bit during the summers and do, um, like a bunch of hiking and biking and stuff. And yeah. when you get up in the air, uh, crisp air, you know, like, you know, I mean, I live in Charleston, South Carolina now, so like talk about hot, but like, you know, you get there during the summer. It's awesome. Um, yeah. so cool. Let's, let's jump in. So we, um, sure. we've just been chatting about, you know, um, kind of the importance of data for customer success leaders that are out there. Um, you know, there's, multitude of tools that everyone has now. There's all, you know, all these, you know, different things that we've been talking about, but, you know, you kind of have this, um, idea around dirty data that you've, you know, talked about quite a bit. And, uh, I'm curious, you know, let's start there. Like how, how do you think about from like a leadership, uh, perspective at some of these businesses, how, you know, what's their approach been to data and, and kind of where do you think, um, you know, this idea or like the reason that dirty data, you know, comes into play so often, like, why does that happen? Like, how does that kind of, you know, manifest on itself? No, I think that, um, well, first of all, my perspective on this is sort of firsthand. So um, without using proper names, um, I was, uh, and I come about this, my answer is also just so folks know in the community, I'm, I come about this as an operator. So this is, um, you know, I've done three SaaS startups, um, typically lead the commercial side of the house. um, So revenue, um, but I've been a co-founder at them. So, you know, asking the deep questions, are we delivering value? Right. And I had a, uh, one of my companies uh, was we were fortunate to get bought by a larger company, and I thought when I went there, we were going to um, learn a lot about how they managed data and drove customer outcomes through the collection of these of data with really cool tools. And you know, we were really scrappy. And I got put in a position where um, the company had a, a, deep, a sort of an unhealthy gross churn rate. Um, they had a you know activation problem, so on the implementation side meaning we had a four and a half percent no start rate. So the sale, we put all this effort and time and energy into sales and then we never delivered our product even. And we weren't even able to build them. And I got thrust into this problem. And I'm like, oh, great. Like, let's, let's dig into the data. But everything was like backward looking telemetry data. 
and to your point, Jeff, like it was captured by humans saying, I don't think this account is healthy. That's my opinion. And opinions are different from facts, right? And they're rife with bias because the other thing I found is that, you know, and I don't disparage anybody for doing this. I get it, but I'm not going to be the first one to raise my hand and be like, yeah, all my accounts are yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one of my, you know, 55% of my accounts are not doing well. Yeah. I'm the account manager, right? Um, So I think that what I learned really quickly when you talk about dirty data in summary is that the way we're collecting data is messed up a lot of times. Um, you know, we just put drop downs. We, you and I were talking about this. Like, you put drop downs in Salesforce, like a churn reason, like pricing. It's a really easy one to click. No one gets in trouble other than the executives that set the pricing. So, um, yeah, I could go on and on about it, but that was really eye opening to me. Like, how we collect the data and codify the data. And the other, the last point that I'd make is a lot of the data that we use to run customer success or CX and even kind of product operations, it looks in the rearview mirror. It's not stuff that we're looking at in the windshield here. And so yeah. that's always kind of bugged, bugged me. Yeah. yeah, I think the um, like your point about kind of being an operator, you know, and, and kind of seeing this firsthand, like that always like strikes with me, right? Because I'm I'm uh, I've been doing this now for close to I guess twelve years or so. And it's like um, in every business, it's like you walk in and you know, every business has a data problem. I mean, it's like you should know that walking in now, like every, every single one does. Um, and then, you know, I think it comes down to the two things that you just mentioned, uh, most often, right. Which is what are the methods that we're capturing this data? You know, is it internal or external? Like, how are we doing that? Um, and then two is like, what is our process for keeping this data cleaned as we go? Um, and like those two things just never seem to be, um, the top of anyone's mind, right. It's always kind of the afterthought when you think about it, but then when you want to go do things like, Hey, I want to send, an email to a particular set of customers who are by segment or by this type of product line, or, you know, they purchased, uh, they purchased our product during this time frame. Like those are types of things that you go back and you're like, well, Oh, that person didn't purchase then, or they didn't purchase this. And then you start thinking, well, if this is wrong, how many are, you know, and then you start, you really can't get to the things that you want to do. And, um, and the reason I think this is going to become so, um, huge this year for CS leaders is, I mean, it's, a time in the market where um, there is so much pressure coming down, um, adding headcount is going to become harder, right? So now it's, okay, how do we become more efficient and effective at the solutions that we have? And in order to do that, you got to start building things at scale, which is, you know, how do you communicate? How do you communicate at scale? How do you engage at scale? Um, And if you don't have the right data, then you're going to be sitting there questioning things or thinking about things or doing things that are manual, which, you know, is just going to end up making it harder and harder for you as the year goes on. I agree. And I also think that I mean, one of the things that I picked up on, not only in um, previous businesses, but the businesses, you know, we're fortunate to have uh, a couple dozen customers. Uh, and a lot of times, like the people that I interact with are chief customer officers or VPs of customer success or VPs of customer operations. But the other thing is these folks, um, uh, my peers in, in this community are, they're like the clearinghouse for data. So whenever a product wants some data about the customers, like what's our product mix or what's our SKU product mix, right? Like that's just a thing that another team may want or like customer marketing is like, we got to beef up advocacy. Um, and then they, you know, where do you go? Well, you go to the customer or account manager. I call it like post-sales account management teams. Yeah. And then, you know, folks are then forced to, you know, we take somebody off the line who should be engendering these relationships with our customers and delivering value. And we're turning people into, you know, 80 to 120 K humans into data entry and data analysts and data joiners. And, you know, we're also asking humans to do this stuff, which 
machines can do maybe more accurately and faster. Um, yeah. That's what machines do. Um, so I think there's, there's issues with that, uh, that are really pronounced this sort of clearinghouse for customer data doesn't necessarily need to fall just on those post sale teams. And by the way, just for, I mean, I get this. These are also the teams with the least resources oftentimes from the operational side, like not every CS leader has a customer operations wizard and like two other data analysts here. So it yeah. falls on like maybe people that are more apt to deal with the data on their teams that should be customer facing and, you know, rinse and repeat. It's just like a cyclical broken thing. So data is uh, a huge blessing and also a bit of a curse sometimes. That um, point you just called out to you about, you know, the thinking of how the teams are designed, right? Who's doing what roles. Um, that's also like, you know, I think we've over the past number of years, you've kind of seen that the rise in having more of a CS ops leader. Maybe they sit alongside of a revenue yeah. leader, revenue ops leader, or maybe they sit next to sales ops. Um, but I think that maturation um, hasn't been there very, very much or very quickly. And so then you're, you're kind of left in that position too. But the other, your other point that I, I've seen a lot of times in talking with other leaders too, is, um, what ends up if you don't address this problem early on or have specific people who know what they're doing, kind of going to handle some of these data questions is then you, you have a CSM down the line or a, an account manager, CSM sales leader who's spending time in the system with the data rather than spending the time with the, with the person building the relationship, like you said, right? Like, and that's, that's like the, the thing you don't want, especially going into a year when renewals are going to be so impactful. It's like, we want to be spending as much critical time with the customer that's valuable as possible. Um, and yes, we want to capture the right amount of data and capture the, like accurate data. But at the same time, like, um, I don't want that to become cumbersome on our teams. Right. And so how do you make sure and kind of organize, organize and facilitate systems, um, and processes that will like allow you to do both those things, um, yeah. more often than not. Yeah, I, I kind of like it. So my background, um, I started to, one was a services business. Um, the other one was a recruitment uh, platform. And we, we've exited those business, scaled and exited those businesses, but we had baseline recruiters. So if you, if you think about sort of the evolution of the recruiting market, it was really like, and I won't go too, I won't get too esoteric or, or deep on this, but at the time, like when I started in this business and I've been doing this, you know, I've been in this kind of the intersection of technology and some, some sort of business function for like 22 years. So at the time it was like recruiters were leveraging like a, well, I called a closed data source, which was like a Rolodex. Like, who do you know? Like, Hey, Jeff would be a good person for this company. Oh, he's in my Rolodex. I'm literally like a, a note card or a Rolodex. Yeah. Right. And then with LinkedIn and, you know, I'm going to say it like the internet and SaaS and like data computing power, like it, it became less about like who you knew in your Rolodex. And recruiters turned their job came into who could access better data faster to make more placements or to increase headcount or you know if you're an external recruiting company to make more money. Yeah, and I think when I look at it through that lens, having seen that evolution in the recruitment market, and then looking at it in the CS departments and lines of business for account management and post sales, like I think the same principles apply. Those of us that can get to more accurate data faster and hopefully autonomously can make better decisions about delivering value to our customers and therefore improve things that we all look at as our North star in subscription based businesses, which are LTV, GRR, NDR, you know, these, you know, alphabet soup, but are really, really important to the thriving, you know, to, for our businesses to thrive. So I think that, you know, data, obviously like the more access to data is good if, and to autonomously heal and access that data is sort of the goal so we can 
again, look, make forward looking decisions and not always be like, oh, yeah, we messed that up. Or, hey, we got to go back and resegment again because nothing's accurate. Like, I don't want to be in that position. And I think a lot about not putting, you know, how do we get the SAS maturity curve, get our other leg over the hump so a lot of us can go forward. Um, and by the way, everybody benefits. Like, people in account management and CSM jobs get to do what they want to, you know, probably what they want to do, which is deal with customers more. Yeah. And deliver value and have those conversations rather than like be sifting through Google Sheets, you know. Um, and by the way, the customers, the outcome for the customer is better because they've got somebody that's helping them. Yeah. And not sifting through data and Google Sheets. So. Well, and I, th- I think, too, like the, um, the, the, the systems or the uh, programs, I guess, that you could build off of accurate data also, like you said, lead to better customer outcomes, right? If I know more about you that's accurate, then I'm sending you better content, better events, better you know, product enhancements. Like I'm, it's, it's, um, it's this whole idea I think that's happened in like B2C. I think everyone talks about, Oh, we need to bring more B2C to B2B. Right. But like, this is one of those things that's true where it's like, Hey, I can go to any app on my phone on B and you know, you think about, um, anything that's like a B2C experience, you know, take like, um, take a, uh, clothing app, right? Like Stitch Fix, right? They they want to send me clothes, right? I can go accurately fill out a profile, and then they suggest you know five pieces of clothing based on things that I answered. And it's like that's personalizing the experience um, at scale for me, right? And so like yeah. I just think about that on the B two B side, which is you know if I know more information about you and accurate and that's accurate, then I'm delivering a better experience at scale and in person, right? It, that means I also should come to the meetings with you, um, knowing like you said, a much more forward thinking. Hey. I know what business you're in. I know what industry you're in. I'm looking at these trends. I'm looking at all this stuff, right? Let's let's think about, okay, what, what are the next two to three moves that we make instead of, hey, let me share some data about what happened over the past 12 months and like why you should still renew with us, right? Like think about how that changes the conversation we're having with a customer. Um, and I'd much rather be a part of the conversation that says, you know, hey, I sent you data ahead of time. We don't need to talk about that unless you have questions. Let's talk about the next two to three decisions that are going to you know, change the future of what we're doing. Um, and I think that is such a good point you brought up. It's just, again, I, I, all these things, it just seems like it ha- has a, um, has a lifespan after you make this, you know, decision about what's happening with the data and how we're capturing it and is it accurate. Like there's all these things that kind of stem from that. Yeah. Well, I, I have this throwaway line and maybe people can use it, but we know like, we know more about, you know, the marketing people know more about our website users than we know about 80% of our customers. Right. Like we know what button they click on. We know all these things that we've, we've designed to track our website and it goes to B2C, right? Like we know all these things that they're doing. Like we know how they're behaving. We know if we throw an interstitial on a website, like what, what drives interaction or engagement. Right. And I think for B2B customers or B2B situations for post sales leaders, like dude, there's so much stuff we don't know about our customers and not to be directionally selfish here, but I think one of the things that we're missing is like, there's a lot of data hiding in plain sight that can inform leaders. Um, and you guys, uh, uh, I think, you know, Jeff and, and, and even your own business, and, and you've probably seen this throughout your career. Like there is stuff hidden in place. Community is a place where there's a lot of treasure troves of data in there. Um, yeah. if you think about it, uh, I've got a stat and again, I don't want to be too directive with this, but, um, we have a data lab at the company that I work at and founded and the data lab found that if a customer gets, uh, 10,000 tickets a month, they're probably getting somewhere between 60,000 and 150,000 emails that go back and forth between the customer and the teams. Imagine how much stuff to inform the customer experience is locked in email. And we're just, you know, most of us don't have anything to harness that knowledge. So um, it's not just dirty data. It's that we're ignoring data that we're already 
basically collecting and yeah. creating. Um, and I think again, uh, the maturity curve of our systems and you know tools and data sciences. Uh, I think it's achievable that we unlock a lot of that stuff. So I, that's why I'm passionate about data because there's just stuff. There's more. There's a there's more frontier to explore. Yeah, the uh, I love that point too. That there's stuff that's just hiding in plain sight because I, I do think um, there are things like that. You know, even knowing our current customers who's going to the site, what they're looking at, you know, if they're reading blogs, looking at certain events that they attend. Um, but this is, you know, for a long time, I've been part of organizations that just try and push stuff into Salesforce and then just gets lost to the abyss. Cause then you're like, okay, how do I, how do I see, you know, at scale who, you know, came to this event that's also part of this product line or, and it's just like it, you know, um, we've, we've tried to butcher it for so long and, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't work. You're cobbling together. You know, it's like, you're using, um, it's like you're using a plane to drive on a road, right? It's like, okay, this is very powerful, but it's like in the wrong situation. Like this is not what I should be using in order to like pull out these deep insights that, you know, allow me to, to better understand my customers and, you know, understand what my customers are doing at scale. Community is another, you know, great one too. We've even just seen in Gangrotain, right? Like, um, there's such a power to be able to also know what somebody's interested in and connect them with other leaders. Um, and then you don't even have to be in the room, right? Like it, there's been, um, certain situations where I've had people come and say, Hey, you know, in Gangrotain, I'm asking for X, Y, and Z. And it's like, Oh, I know three or four people who are doing that. And then they'll set up a call and it's like, cool. Now we've got this little tribe that they've set up that, you know, we kind of get credit for They're like, oh yeah, they referred us all together, sure. but then now I don't have to be in the room. I mean, talk about, like you said, talk about being impactful, you know, it's like, great. Now the the customer is getting what they need and, and I don't even have to deliver anything right now. I've just been able to, to make the connection. So I think that the hiding. You're, you're talking about, well, you're also talking about using data to connect the dots. I mean, imagine this, like, let's talk about it at a practitioner level. Imagine if the customer that we're talking about, Acme Widget, they're hitting support with a bunch of questions, a bunch of feature requests and like some bug reports and like, you know, support, by the way, a lot of our support teams are really good. Like they bat back answers and close tickets. And, you know, we're looking at the metrics, by the way, the data of like yeah. closing tickets and we're like, yeah, you know, 31 minutes, man, not bad. Like to get that down to 13 or 11 <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, whatever our goals are, whatever your volume is. But on the other side, you have a CSM or ERM or AM or whomever is sort of that higher touch person they may be dealing with some renewal or contract questions or, you know, how do we create value questions, you know, some, something more in depth. But meanwhile, there's all this chitter chatter going on in the ticketing system. And a lot of us don't have, unless we really go spelunking somewhere, we don't have a single pane of glass where we can see that. Yeah. And those matter because, you know, and I get back to this, but like if a customer is not going to renew, it's usually not this binary one reason it's usually like a death by a thousand cuts, right? Like there's all these things that lead, it's just like relationships are complicated. Like if you break up with a friend or a girlfriend or a spouse or something like that, it probably wasn't over your monthly mortgage payment. That one thing, oh, we couldn't get through the relationship because the mortgage bill was too high and we couldn't agree on it. No, it was like lots of things. It was because you cut your toenails and left your, your toenails on the floor. And you know, it was like, you know, I, I hate to, but I'm making a point here, like a very yeah, yeah. Uh, salient point not to be gross. I've already talked about lice and toenails. So they're like, Oh God, that Joel guy is an icky person. Um, but you you get the point, like there are all these things that are happening. We we foster these relationships and B2B, these long-term relationships. Well, there's all this underpinnings and and that is in the data that we're collect, we're collecting it, but we just have no way to um, connect the dots. Like you're talking about in in the community, in the GGR community. So, um, I think the other thing is not just like, oh, you got to use more data or you got to synthesize data or you need cleaner data. Like, no, nah, no, nah, man, you need to join data together 
and 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 you can't just be like, oh, we give you a single pane of glass for all of our data. Like, you, uh, listen, I'm a vendor. You don't always, you can't always believe the vendor that's going to happen. You actually have to see it in practice. Um, yeah. But, uh, anyway. No, I was going to say um, that's a, the the idea too of of like piecing things together and the death by a thousand cuts, and then the like relationships are complicated. Um, this also leads to like, you know, we try to as much as we try to, right? I, I mean. A, as a SaaS business, we're trying to get into repeatable and scalable solutions. Like that is the way that the business model is made. That's how we, you know, capitalize um, on great customer outcomes, but also great business outcomes for ourselves. Um, and so, as much as we can, we're trying to do that, right? But like, just like you said, like relationships are complicated. Not every customer wants QBR. Not every customer wants to meet in person. Not every customer. It's so like you can prescribe certain playbooks for your teams to go implement and enact and do. But at the same time, like you have to figure out how to adapt to certain things, and you also have to figure out that, like, okay. We're going to do things that, um, you know, some customers just aren't going to want to do or, or, you know, need to do. And so like, we need to figure out, okay, how do I supplement like the, the example you just gave, right? Like how do I supplement some of the things that maybe if they don't want to engage with me in a certain way, how do I supplement some of that data in a different way? How do I capture, you know, Hey, they don't want to engage with the CSM. Great. But we do have their support tickets or I can go look at what their activity is in the community. Right. So, okay. I don't have one, you know, source, but now I can, how can I go cobble together the other side of the picture by using like this other data sources that we do have access to. And I just think that more often than not, um, you know, sometimes we get in, get into the mode of like, uh, the customer doesn't want to engage with us, you know, let's write it as red. Um, you know, it's, it's a churned account, um, you know, or like you, you start getting into this, um, fantasy of like, you know, we're never going to be able to crack into the code. And it's just like, you got to find, you know, unique or different ways to do it. You've got all these other like places that they're going to be playing. So, um, yeah, you know, I think, just... listen, it's, I think there's a double-edged sword. This is the way I look at it. Like you build all these, like, I think we have to build all of these sort of different stages of a customer's journey. And then there's a parallel path, right? Like the access road to a highway. So if your customer journey is the highway, big four lane, supposed to be safe, you know, um, high, high throughput, and then I always kind of look at it as like the access road with the jack in the boxes and the gas stations on the side of the road. And then, and that access road has to, um, uh, has to be dynamic. And so the data, so for example, and, and to bring this home and, and not, again, not to be so ahead in the sky, like we create these journeys for our customers, but some customers just don't fall into the journey. And so if like, and going back to my last example, if a customer keeps coming inbound on support, by the way, easy ticket. They don't want to engage with you. They don't want to hop on a call. No one wants to yeah. hop on a call. Everybody's got the fatigue, right? So we're seeing this more. And, you know, I got, I was on a podcast recently, like how did COVID change the, your, your customer journey? Like, well, no one wanted to get back on a zoom, man. Like no one wants to hop on a call anymore. So like, you got to kind of do different things. And this is goes back to the access road. But my point is this, if they are on the access road and they're asking about over and over again, different features and how do I do this? And this is a bug. And they're really deep in the product instead of just keep sending them like, sort of canned content about how to use the product or inviting them to webinars. Like, why don't you then escalate and put them on the phone with somebody that's authorized to talk about the product roadmap and see if it actually jives with where they want to go. So you can maintain product market fit. And maybe that's the thing that they needed, but that's not a play in that highway of customer journey. Right? Like, so I think listening to our customers and, and getting those cues to your point is a, that's a real world example of like what you're describing and that yeah. we don't do enough of. It, it reminds me also, um, I don't know if, I don't know if you're an, a frequent Instagram user or not, but the, uh, like the current CEO of Instagram, 
if you actually go look at his profile, he um, he does an interesting po- he, like, he does one post a week on his Instagram profile where he just makes a video himself sitting as, in his office on his phone um, through Instagram, and he like talks about the product and like what's happening and like what's in- what he's finding interesting or the themes that he's noticing and even something like that. Like I mean, I don't know. Instagram has billions of users, right? It means. Uh, it's inconsequential. I don't know him personally. He's never going to look at a feature request of mine or like anything, right? But like, at least I see the person and the, his style of thinking. I get a little bit of a different mode, right? I see him on a video, you know, that he's recording. But like, I think your point, you know, is like, oftentimes we do send canned responses or we coach our teams. Hey, you know, here's the right thing to say in this situation. Let's email this back, right? And sometimes, especially now, right? You've got access to different types of tools. Hey, instead of writing that email back, why don't you record an audio note? It'd be great if they just heard your voice or like, hey, why don't you record a quick video, throw it in your email. And you still might be using that that kind of uh, distribution or method, you know, of, of uh, communicating through email. But then at least you change the dynamics. And like you said, maybe they don't want to get on a call, but maybe uh, shooting a short video is a great way to show them your face and, and to give them a response. And now they're thinking, oh, it's a little more human, right? There is somebody on the other end. It's not just an automated system. Maybe now they're more inclined over time. If you do that multiple times, maybe now they're more inclined to say, hey, you know what? It would be great to have a call. Like we should do that if that's what you want to do, right? So um, anyways, I think that's a good good point too. Well, I think you, you bring up a good point. Like let's go back to football. So the Buffalo Bills playbook, When and, and this comes back to like something that we use a lot um, at my company, Sturdy. Like when we onboard people, they go through a program that's like a lot of our playbook for, I, I don't know if you're silencing me. No, um, no a lot of don't go there. I thought maybe yeah. I was like a don't go there. I'm joking. So the thing, like we go through this like big, long 67 page deck and it's basically to engender people into the business and get them up to speed about how we act and interact and how we want to portray ourselves and et cetera. And, but one of the, one of the slides is like, be a pro, like we're playing pro ball here. Like, we are, you are a professional and we are playing with high stakes, professional stuff here in enterprise software land. Right. And so think about it this way, like the Buffalo bills. And what I mean, when I talk about the plays and, and I liken it to being a professional athlete, when you're an account manager or CSM, so if CSMs are listening to this, like you're in the big leagues. Yeah. And so you have to practice, you have to read the playbooks and you, you know, that uh, even though they get paid millions and millions of dollars, which we all should be paid because we actually probably have a harder job than playing professional football they study playbooks and they show up in the field and every week they practice and every week they go through films and, and they're looking for different nuances. And then the point of this, the point of this rant is um, they've got a playbook. I bet the Buffalo bills, your team has a playbook that's voluminous. Yeah. And what I think we have when we're dealing with the high stakes of enterprise software is we've got thin little playbooks that are kind of, you know, we develop them once we put them on the shelf. This is what we do. And to your point, Jeff, like, I think that, and it goes back to my uh, metaphor about the, the, you know, the, the access road and, and, and calling an audible, if we're mixing metaphors to football, like yeah. we have to have different situational plays and we have to study those plays. We have to iterate on those plays and that's based and they should be data driven. So if a customer doesn't want to hop on a call, they never come inbound on voice. They don't want to show up to a QBR. They don't want FaceTime with us. It doesn't mean that they're dead and that you should just leave them as one of those accounts. Like let's not call them. I don't want to yeah. get the hornet's nest. Because I don't want them to cancel. Let's, they keep paying. Are they paying? They're, you know, they're paying. Well, just leave them alone then until they cancel. Like you can try to engage them with some sort of create creative things. And I don't know if we're doing that enough in enterprise software. Like we're sort of just following the same playbook that we may have used at the last enterprise software company that's adapted for this customer journey that we've built that highway. And we're not, we're not nuanced enough. And by the way, we're not getting the data triggers to evoke 
the voluminous playbook either. So uh, something to think about. I mean, there's yeah. something in there that we've seen work for some companies that are doing some really cool stuff. So, Yeah. That, um, that point I think sticks out to me so much, especially, you know, um, I'm on our marketing team now. So like even just saying, you know, the types of, like you said, you know, do you kind of bring playbooks or bring things that, you know, plays that you've run at old companies that work, um, which is fine, right? You should do that. Hey, this worked. Let's test it. Let's see if it works here. Um, but I think the thing that you're noticing in B2B SaaS these days is you have to garner attention and, and garnering attention, even with your customers, right, is, um, is becoming harder, especially with any of the apps that are out there, TikTok, Instagram, anything that's taking somebody's time is taking it away from you and your product. And so like, um, you need to just get creative about trying to, to garner attention and putting it, you know, pushing it in the right direction of things that you want them to do or need them to do to be successful. So, um, I think, well, I think, I think uh, to your point, I mean, listen, the riff on this is like, you are kind of competing for the same eyeballs as like, so, uh, an enterprise SaaS company, let's just say a scale up 50 million in revenue, let's say 25 million in revenue. How many SaaS products do you think service the teams? Dude, there's like, I looked at our, our infosec, uh, person, Eric, sent me an email over the weekend. He's like, can you verify that you were still using pitch and, you know, Salesforce and zoom and Apollo and, you know, tick off the tech stack at, yeah. at uh, third Canva. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I like Canva, but I'm like, do I really need it? <laughs> so the point is like, if you can stand out as a vendor to me and like you're engaging me or meeting me where I'm at yeah. based on the data that you see in my trend, like a consumer, then you're probably more apt to say when Eric comes to me on the infosec team, it's like, Oh, can we cut that? Can, can you cut the users down on that? Like, what are you doing? If I'm like, no, 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 that's super valuable to me. And I like these guys. Yeah. We're talking about relationships. So that's important. Like, yes, it's valuable. And I like them is yeah. a renewal. Let the auto renew go. Don't kick them in the teeth and like, you know, try to get my haircut on, on my renewal or make them sweat. I mean, not that I would do that. But yeah we are competing for eyeballs and we have to kind of think about it. And it comes back to like the days where we used to build recruiting technology, like a candidate who got the most information, by the way, couldn't like, if you didn't get an offer from Google and you got an, you got an offer from Google and you got an offer from no name scale up, oftentimes the no name scale up would be able to achieve success even with a lower offer if the candidate got more information. And I feel the same way about SaaS companies. Like if we communicate with our customers and meet them where they're at in a form that they want to communicate with, and we provide that value, then, they may find something or maybe sifting around for something that has just a little bit more functionality or is the sexier new thing, but they'll stay with you because they're like, yeah, these guys are trying. They're like, they're meeting me where I'm at. So I'm just going to stick with them and I'll do another annual with them instead of doing an RFP or an RFI for some other thing or widget or tool or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great, great point. Great, great, great stop. Uh, a great stopping point for us too. I mean, I think that's a, um, like the, the idea too, that you can, um, extend the relationship with some of these things like you can just buy a little bit right like some of that stuff matters especially in a year when people are looking at budgets and line items you know left and right totally. so um cool I, let's you know summarize a little bit real quick just about the conversation i think you know um for for cs leaders that are out there thinking about data right um how that's you know kind of running um through the types of programs and things that you want to run, thinking about how you're capturing it, you know, where is where is the accuracy? Um, how are you thinking about, you know, what types of triggers does that have in certain systems? Um, I think, you know, all of this stuff means getting your CS teams to spend more time with customers, less time with 
tools, systems, backend, and data. Um, and I think the end the ending here, just around you know trying to cr- find creative ways to to stand out. You know, um, you can't have the data, you can't have like all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you also need to make sure it's you know relationship driven business. We need to make sure we're standing out for the person that we're um, becoming a thought partner, thinking ahead. I think thinking forward. You know, trying to be two to three decisions, thinking about how to make two to three decisions with them, um, as opposed to you know presenting old data. So um, I think there's a lot of little valuable nuggets in here that I definitely am going to pull out. Um, but Joel. Where uh, give us a little bit more about Sturdy, and then you know tell us um, where people can find more if they're interested in learning about it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the only thing I would add to your summary is I think, and this leads into Sturdy, but there, there's a there's a data source that can inform a lot of the things that you and I talked about, like keeping people in front of customers to deliver value, and we're not using enough of our data. Um, there's data hiding in plain sight, and and Sturdy, uh, to segue, um, we've built a customer intelligence platform. Uh, that basically mines um, safely, discreetly, and with privacy, forward thinking, um, uh, emails and tickets and chats and the call transcripts and user communities, Jeff, and um, the like, where customers are interacting with us all the time for these business signals that can be predictive and predicate um, either opportunities or risks and also help us inform our product stakeholders. And then we've created automations and APIs to deliver that that those business signals to the right people at the right time. So they can call an audible. Um, and if you're not familiar with football, so they can do something that meets the customer where they're at. So they can strengthen the relationship or add value. Um, and so that's what we've been working on for the last couple of years. And uh, it's going well and uh, we're showing value. And, you know, the ultimate goal is to help people keep their customers and keep their customers happy. And uh, you can find us at sturdy.ai. And I'm really easy to find on LinkedIn. I'm just Joel Passon. And the other thing is I would say I'm just Joel at sturdy.ai. I'm always happy to talk to people. Awesome. Yeah, um, I'm excited about this. I, I mean, I think scaled customer success and, and data is like a, a huge um, gold mine this year. Chocolate. Like we'll need to, yeah. Chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah, the, you know, two great things that go together. Um, yeah, I'm excited <laughs> about this and I uh, appreciate you doing it. We'll, uh, we'll stay in touch, cool. Joel. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.